The moment you truly choose to live a disciplined life, truly choose an action, choosing is an action. The moment you truly choose to live a disciplined life apart from the world, devoted to Jesus, I promise you, you will never want to turn back. Because anyone that has been disciplined to get a six pack will not want to be fat anymore. I'm sorry, I'm being real. But it takes discipline to get to where you want to be. And once you get to where you want to be, you will never want to turn back to the evil things of this world. When you finally get to the point when you've been disciplined to follow after Jesus and live devoted to him, you will never want to go back. And a lot of you are, if this is a spectrum, perfect. Sorry, we're never going to be perfect. Disciplined. Sorry, if this is a spectrum, disciplined and not disciplined. This is the other end. Not disciplined, disciplined. Some of you are right here. I'm being real with you. Some of you feel the tension between going all the way over here and being disciplined to follow Jesus. And some of you, it takes one hard life moment and you're back to square one. And you're living in the evil desires of this world. You're living in sin and I'm just being real. But once you get to here and you have strong disciplines to pray, you're disciplined to read your Bible, you're disciplined to be bold and tell people about Jesus. Welcome to the PC Youth Pod. Thank you for taking time to listen. This week's message is from Pastor Spencer. It's called A Life Devoted. So grab your Bible and something to write with as we get into this week's message. I'm excited for what God's Word is going to speak to us. How many of you believe that when you open God's Word, um, it's alive and it's active and it can speak to you in a new way, even if you read the same passage that you read yesterday? God's word is awesome. The Bible is the best. I'm excited for the direction that this youth ministry is heading towards. I've spent some time away in Florida, in Missouri, and I got to experience a lot of um, different ways that ministry looks and the way God is using churches and the way God is using uh, youth ministries across the country. And I am excited for for where PC Youth is headed. And I hope you are too, because God has his hand on this church and this youth ministry. There's a, I see it in every single person that walks into this room, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I see a hunger and a desperation for something greater than yourself. And I can tell you the only answer and the only place where you'll find your answer for what you're desiring is Jesus. And I'm excited for the way you guys have answered the call of God on your life and the way you're pursuing it and the way you're hungry for it. I'm excited for what God is doing. It is our desire this, this evening to be at the center of God's will, especially in our own lives, but also in regards to people's church youth. It's our desire as a team, as, my, as, a, as your youth pastor, um, as your parents, and I hope as yourself that it's, it is a desire as a youth ministry that we're at the center of God's will always. So we're willing to be, to be moved, we're willing to be stretched, we're willing to be shaped by God in, ordering to, in order to be fulfilling his purposes that he's called us to. So tonight, through Peter, who is a disciple of Jesus, We're going to understand further how to be at the center of God's will. And bear with me, please. I forgot my iPad, which is an L already, and my glasses, so I barely can see my notes. But tonight, through Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, we're going to understand how to further accept the call of God on our lives and how to live devoted to him. And stick with me, because I promise at the end of this, I have some really exciting news that we're going to share about where Peace of Youth is headed. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter's the guy. Peter is the guy, he denied Jesus. How many of you have denied Jesus before? Some of you are raising your hands. Thank you for being honest, actually. 
Peter denied Jesus and God still used him so, so miraculously to preach the word. Peter was the first person to ever preach a message after Jesus ascended into heaven. Peter is the guy. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. I get the title from the title of this passage, Living for God, A Life Devoted to God. Start with me in verse 1. Are you there? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, so then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Come on. Arm, I asked, what is my attitude supposed to look like as a Christian? Arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had. Suffering's coming. He said it. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. So won't so you should spend the rest of your life chasing, you shouldn't, sorry. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You'll be anxious to do, to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust and their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, their terrible worship of idols. You've had enough of it. So God, Peter this, this evening is speaking, well, in this passage, but also this evening because God's word is alive. He's speaking to the believer. He's saying, arm yourself with the same attitude that Jesus had. Jesus knew he was going to suffer on the cross. He was ready for it. He was actually called to it by God the Father. And he was ready. He had that attitude of, okay, I'm going to suffer, but I'm standing strong in my faith. So Peter says, do the same. Have the same attitude. Be ready for suffering because the call of God, the call to Christianity is not an easy one. It's not one that's popular. So suffering is going to come. You must be ready for it. You must be ready for it. Immediately, Peter reminds us of this. He reminds us of the physical pain that Jesus suffered for you and for me. That's right off the gate. I don't, I think if you're ever in an argument like around Christianity, I feel like the great equalizer in that argument would say, like, if you were in a conversation with someone, if you're a believer of Jesus and the other person is not, I think the great equalizer would be, well, the Savior, the, the hope that I have actually suffered and died for me. What you believe in, what did they do? What did they do for you? There's no one else in the world, no, there's only one God, and he sent his son Jesus to suffer for you and to die. Not let alone suffer, but he actually died so that you and I could be saved. I feel like that's a great equalizer. That's a little tangent I went on, but if you ever find yourself in a healthy argument, there's a difference between a bad and a healthy argument. The great equalizer is that Jesus suffered for you and for me. As Christians, there's no room for evil things of the world. There's no room for the evil things of godless people, Peter also says. Verse three, Peter is referring to the world when he says this. This table is smaller than I remembered. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to go like this. Hold up. The notes I'm done with go back here. Verse 3, the, when he says, you have had enough of the, of the evil things that godless people enjoy. When he's talking about godless people, he's referring to anyone who is not saved, who is not called in the name of Jesus. So this evening, we can equate that to culture today. We talk about culture a lot. The difference between living a life devoted to God or living a life devoted to culture. He's referring to culture and how they are lustful, how they enjoy drunkenness, how they're they have a much immorality, how they feast, and they have wild parties. Maybe not to the same degree, but all of us have lived because we are sinners as godless people, all of us. And Peter says, you're a Christian, you are, have had enough of it. 
As a Christian, there is no room for that in your life anymore. There's no room for the things of this world if you call yourself a believer this evening. Let me remind you of that. If you have devoted to, to follow Jesus for the rest of your days, there is no room for the things of this world. There's a tension. We were just talking about this in our leader meeting earlier. There's this constant tension between, yeah, saying, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm a Christian when it's convenient, or yes, I'm a Christian and I'm diving in completely to what God has for me. There's a tension because culture will get in the middle of that and say, well, I don't think you really want to go all the way. And, and then there's the other side that says, oh, I'm, I'm not sure for what God has for me. I promise you, dive in all the way. Because there's no room at all for anything of this world in our lives. Peter tells us straight up. Verse 4 says, Of course, you for, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. That verse is fire to me. He says, Of course your friends are surprised that you're different. So they slander you. Of course they're surprised. Because at one point you were, you were involved in what they were doing, and now you don't, and they're, they're confused what happened. They saw a change in your life. He goes on to say, but remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with, with God in the spirit. He says, your friends will be surprised. I'm here to tell you tonight that the moment you say yes to Jesus, there should be a change in your life and your friends should notice it. The moment you say, yes, Jesus, I, was, I am a sinner. I'm always going to be a sinner because of the fact that we've fallen short of the glory of God. But when I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying yes to following you. And I'm saying yes to transforming the way I do things. Saying yes to, to changing the things I look at. Saying yes to, the, to what I interact with, who I interact with, what I do. So your friends should be surprised. Because they see the way that you've progressed and your life has been transformed through Jesus. My voice just cracked. So they slander you and you say, well, Spencer, I'm, I'm a Christian, but all my friends hate me because of it. Peter said, be ready for suffering. Why are you surprised that your friends are surprised that you're different? Instead of being ashamed that your friends treat you differently and that your friends are slandering you, and when the, the word slander means talking negatively, casting their negative opinions upon you, instead of being surprised by that, honestly, Honestly, you should be encouraged and challenged by that very fact. You should be encouraged because the fact that you are experiencing criticism as a Christian is because your friends have noticed that you are different. So be encouraged. And at the same time, be challenged because if your friends are seeing difference in you, then that means they are curious about why. Tell them why. Tell them, I have, lived, I have decided to live my life devoted to Jesus. And he has saved me from every sinful thing that I've experienced. I deserve death, but I am, no longer, I am no longer going to die. I have eternity in heaven because I have called on the name of the Lord. Be encouraged and challenged. Do not be dismayed or, or discouraged because your friends are slandering you. Peter also says they will be judged for their words that they have said to you. I'm here to tell you, you will also be judged someday for things that you've said to other people. You will be judged for the things that you said to them while you, when you weren't a Christian. You're going to be, just as they're going to be judged for every sin they've committed, you will be too. So you're not at any different, none of us have arrived, none of us are at a higher level just because you've said yes to Jesus. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. 
Don't waste an opportunity to teach them about the good news of Jesus because you feel hurt about how they've treated you. Do not waste an opportunity. When your friends persecute you because of your faith, that is an opportunity to tell them what your faith is about. We're just getting started here. Jesus, let me tell you something. All the persecution that you feel because you've devoted your life to him, because you've devoted your life to Jesus, Jesus actually experienced all of that persecution way before you did. Any hardship or suffering or anything you've experienced, Jesus, ex Jesus experienced the same things, but never gave in to sin. He lived a perfect life. But if Jesus was able to conquer sin and death and any sin that exists, you are able to, to as well. You are able to as well, I promise. Because you're no, you're no longer living by the strength of yourself, you're living in the strength of Jesus. And he conquered it first, so you will too. You will too. How do I stay strong and guard myself from the evil desires of this world? Verse seven. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Peter says, the end is coming. And this is years ago. You and I can feel the fact that the end is coming. You can feel it. You look around you. The world is not our home. So thank God all the things that are happening, that's not forever. Everything that's happening on earth right now where you can just get so caught up in, I mean, the conflict in Ukraine is so real. But thank God this place isn't our home. The end of this planet is coming. And there will be a day when both the living and the dead are judged for their sins and they have two, you have two choices. You're either gonna experience eternity in heaven or you're gonna go to hell. And I'm here to tell you, you're not gonna stay here. It's one or the other. Nobody will be here anymore because this place is not our home. I would hope and I would pray and I desire with everything in me that your home is heaven. I pray every single day that everybody represented in this room, their home is heaven. And if it's not, if, if you're sitting here and you're feeling some weight and you say, Spencer, I, don't, I can't know. I don't know if my home is heaven. I'm so happy you're here. Because tonight you will have a decision to make. And you'll be able to decide between heaven or hell. I'm just being real. I pray that you choose heaven. I pray. We can see it. We can feel it. Their earth is not our home. To withstand, this is the best. He said to, basically he said, to withstand the trials of this world, be disciplined in the way you pray. Seek time with Jesus. So if you're a follower of Christ today and you feel like the world is crumbling around you, be disciplined in your prayer. Be disciplined in the way you seek time with him. Be disciplined in the way you pursue him. And we've said discipline a few a few times tonight. We're going to unpack that word. But be disciplined for the way that you pray and have conversation with your heavenly Father and your Savior. He also says, love each other. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. He didn't say, tear each other down because you're mad at each other. He said, love each other because there's sin, but love covers it. 
So you might feel, and it could be between you and another believer, and you could feel just such angst between you two. And you have every reason in the book to be mad at them, every reason, every excuse, they've done you wrong. Peter says, love them. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Jesus loved us first, so why are we complaining that we have to love others? If Jesus loved you and I first that he would die for us, why are we not loving those around us? Jesus loved you and me first. I love this too. He says, he says cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Open your place of residence to those that are hurting. All of you don't own, none of you own homes here tonight. I don't even own a home yet. But think about the principle that Peter is portraying to us tonight. To those that need a meal or a place to stay, that means hurting people. Open your homes to them, he says. To those that are hurting, be welcoming to them. Show hospitality. To the person that you're mad at, open your arms. Welcome them into, into your life. Welcome them in, into relationship with Jesus and you. Be inviting, be hospitable. Invite those around you that you know are away from Jesus to lunch. That person that goes to McKay High School, McNary High School, Sprague, Judson Middle School, I'm, I cannot name all of them. But that person, when you are walking down the hallways and you know they are far away from Jesus, and you have that sense in your spirit, that person needs Jesus, invite them to your lunch table. Next time you have a a group project in your school and you have the same class together, invite them to be your partner. No, you can't open your home because you don't have it, but the, the principle that Peter is portraying to us is that we need to be hospitable, welcoming people to those that are hurting. So when you sense hurting people, do not turn your back to them. And I'm not up here telling you these things because I do all of them perfectly. Let's just set the record straight. I don't do any of these things perfectly. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. So I'm preaching to you as much as I'm preaching to myself. When there's hurting people around you and you can sense it because the Holy Spirit gives you an itch and helps you understand that person's hurting, the Bible instructs you to welcome and be hospitable to them. Instead, a lot of us in here go this way and just leave the hurting person to hurt. What if they never heard about the good news of Jesus because you turned your back and you kept walking? Their home life is hard. They have no access to Bible. You know how many people there are, even in Salem, that have never heard about what Jesus has done for them? Do you know how many people, I wish I had the statistics, do you know how many people are in your school that have never heard what Jesus has done for them? A lot of us in here have been so fortunate to grow up in a family where that has been ingrained in us our whole, our whole lives. But there is probably more people that haven't heard and grown up in a family where Jesus is being poured into their lives. There's probably more people in that court category than people that, that have, have, have had uh, heard. There's more people that haven't heard growing up than have heard growing up. So it's our duty to share. And if we're living a life that's devoted to Jesus, P Peter tells us to be hospitable and welcome and show love to them. Show the love of Jesus that should be pouring out of you to them. And they say, wow, you're different. You're different. I used to be your friend, and you're, you're way different than, than you are now when you are my friend. What's changed? Are you, you better answer honestly. If someone asks you what's changed in your life, 
you better answer honestly because that is, so many, so many of you are like, oh, I don't know how to tell my friends about Jesus. Well, if they ask, you better tell. Like that's just, that's the easiest it gets. But start with loving them and showing them grace even though they don't deserve it. Be Jesus to them. And that's a churchy word. We always say, be, I want to be more like Jesus. When we say that, we're referring to the example that Jesus has set for you and for me. And we want to do everything in our human strength, which isn't a lot compared to the strength of God. But we want to do everything in our strength to be just as much like Jesus as possible. So when I say be Jesus to that person, I'm not saying somehow figure out how to come out of your own body and become Jesus don't try to be Jesus in a negative way, but show the love of Jesus. Show the grace of Jesus. Show the mercy of Jesus. Show the forgiveness that Jesus showed. All the qualities, be that to them. Peter lays it out. It's clear. The mission is clear. The instructions to Christians are clear. Like, I don't know how much more black and white you can get. We just unpacked a good nine verses and we're going to read more in a second, but he, he's so clear. And I'm here to tell you this, this evening that the path that God has called you to is not one of convenience, but one of discipline. When you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to the path of, of God, the path that God has called you to, the path of righteousness. That path is not one of convenience. It is one of discipline. Did you hear me tonight? If I told you that saying yes to Jesus was easy, I would be lying. And I'm not going to lie to you, so I'm going to tell you that saying yes to Jesus is hard. That's why you must be disciplined. Saying yes to Jesus is not convenient. Otherwise, everyone on earth would have by now. The path of God, the path that God has laid before you is one of discipline. So let's unpack that tonight. Something that is convenient would be considered easy. It would be the easiest option. It doesn't take much effort. Convenience does not take much effort. You don't walk into a convenience store and struggle for 40 minutes trying to figure out what you want to buy. You say, I want a Red Bull. It's convenient. You pay and you leave and you go, you go on your way. It's not called a discipline store because it doesn't take discipline to figure out if you want Red Bull or Monster. It's convenient. It's easy. It doesn't take effort. And I don't, I'm sorry that I'm yelling. I'm really excited. <laughs> How many of you heard this? Convenience is often something that makes the most sense or it makes me feel the best. Come on. Oh, that's the most logical way to go according to the, to the world. So, I mean, it's convenient. I'll follow. All my friends are at this party on Friday, so why should I not be there? It's convenient. I got a ride. The opposite of that would be, dis would be being disciplined to say, sorry, I decline, and open your Bible on a Friday night. Opening your Bible is not convenient because it's hard. It's a discipline that is, has to be made in all of our lives. So let's talk about discipline now. Discipline is something that must be learned. It is not easy, but it is rewarding. Discipline takes resilience and repetition. Discipline is not popular. 
Discipline is not popular. Because if discipline was popular, everybody would have straight A's because they were disciplined to study. Discipline is not popular because if, if someone was disciplined in the way they care for their body, everybody would have a six-pack. Discipline is not easy because if discipline was easy, everybody would be disciplined in what they watch and not look at porn. I wish I knew the statistic, and I'm only going to talk about porn one more time, but if you knew how many people in your school look at things they shouldn't, you would be floored. Someone said everyone. You're probably right. But that doesn't take discipline. Watching porn is convenient because I feel this way, and I want to conquer this feeling, so let me look at this, and then you're left empty. I'm just being real. You guys, I'm so about being real. I'm so about it. None of you have to walk in this room with your church coat on and you have to have it all figured out. Our mission statement here is to build a community where all can exist and encounter Jesus. So you don't have to put on your church coat to exist here. Walk in here with what you have, with what you're struggling with, with what you're dealing with. But encounter Jesus. It's not an excuse to, to flaunt your sin. You can be a sin-filled person. We all are and enter this room, but you're going to encounter Jesus. I'm going to believe it with everything in me. But encountering Jesus takes discipline. The term disciple, which is what Peter was, it refers to 12 men that followed Jesus closely, and they were disciplined to do so. Disciple is a root word of discipline. I'm sure following Jesus and learning everything about him was not easy. Because Jesus called the disciples out. He told them when they're wrong, and they had to be willing for Jesus to correct them. You must be disciplined to withstand the evil things of this world. You must be disciplined in the way we chase after your friends, just as Jesus chased after you. Be disciplined to chase the hurting. If we're comfortable, this is... This is good. I'm excited I got to this part of my notes. If you and I are comfortable with the convenience of this room, hear me. If you and I are comfortable with the convenience of coming to youth group every Sunday and Wednesday and doing nothing about it, your faith when you leave, we have missed it. Because this room is convenient and God moves here and it's easy to come to church and experience Jesus and chase after him. All of those things are good. But if we leave this room acting completely different than how we were here, we have missed it. Church is a convenient place to want to know Jesus. But are you disciplined when you are not at church? If we're settling into the convenience of a Wednesday night youth service and not being Jesus outside the room, but we're trying to be him when we're here, you and I have missed it. You must be disciplined in your prayers and the time you spend with Jesus. You must be disciplined in your prayer life. You have to have discipline in the way you love those around you, friend or not. Hear me, friend or not. Be disciplined and devote your life to God. None of that is easy. It's not convenient. I'm not here telling you that it's easy. But the reward, I promise it's worth it. I wish I knew how long it took me to be disciplined to read my Bible. I wish I knew. 
because it was a long time. And a lot of you are like, Spencer, I don't even know how to read my Bible. Start by opening it and read it. Don't skim it. There's a difference between reading and skimming. Read it and let it speak to you and do it every day. The moment you truly choose to live a disciplined life, truly choose an action, choosing is an action. The moment you truly choose to live a disciplined life apart from the world, devoted to Jesus, I promise you, you will never want to turn back. Because anyone that has been disciplined to get a six pack will not want to be fat anymore. I'm sorry, I'm being real. But it takes discipline to get to where you want to be. And once you get to where you want to be, you will never want to turn back to the evil things of this world. When you finally get to the point when you've been disciplined to follow after Jesus and live devoted to him, you will never want to go back. And a lot of you are, if this is a spectrum, perfect. Sorry, we're never going to be perfect. Disciplined. Sorry, if this is a spectrum, disciplined and not disciplined. This is the other end. Not disciplined, disciplined. Some of you are right here. I'm being real with you. Some of you feel the tension between going all the way over here and being disciplined to follow Jesus. And some of you, it takes one hard life moment and you're back to square one. And you're living in the evil desires of this world. You're living in sin. And I'm just being real. But once you get to here and you have strong disciplines to pray, you're disciplined to read your Bible, you're disciplined to be bold and tell people about Jesus. I'm losing my breath. You're never going to want to go back to the undisciplined life that we all have once lived. You'll never want to go back. Someone that has been disciplined to not watch porn anymore is not going to want to go back to watching porn every day. Making strong biblical disciplines are not easy. They are not convenient, but they are worth it. So we're going to read the last part of this chapter, and I'm sorry, I've gotten way more hyped up than I thought I would. Verses 10 and 11 says this, God has given you each a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. This room is full. Every single person in here. You are all world changers. And a lot of you don't realize it yet. But you have been given gifts from God who created you to change the world. Peter tells us, you all have a spiritual gift. Use them to serve one another. But ultimately, this is important, serve one another with your gifts. Love each other with your gifts. The list goes on. But ultimately, to bring glory to God. Some of us get lost. We say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve, and you serve for all the wrong reasons. You're not here to serve yourself or your ego, and now I'm talking about serving in the church. Let's make that clear. You're not here to serve yourself or your ego. You're here to bring glory and serve for the kingdom of God. Because what you do with your spiritual gift could and will have eternal impact for the kingdom of heaven. All of you have unique and incredible giftings. How are you going to give them back to Jesus? 
How are you going to give them back to the God that created you? Because Peter tells us that we're called to do so. We're called to give glory to God with the gifts that he's given us. There's something, let me tell you, there's something so powerful when you humbly, hear me, humbly step into a volunteer position, utilizing your God-given gift to give back and make eternal impact in the kingdom of God. There's something so powerful in that. And I see so many of you do it. So many of you do this so well. I am blown away every single Sunday morning by the amount of kids that pour out their gift on a first impressions team, on a parking lot team, on a worship team. Come on. Half the worship team every Sunday is you. You are using your gift to glorify God if you have the right heart when you do it. If it's about being on the stage, and I don't think it is for any of you, but maybe it is, and if it's about being on the stage because people will see you and they see that you're talented and you want to bring glory to yourself rather than him, you're missing it. If you're opening the door because you care about the people that walk into this church, you care about finding the lost and leading the lost to know Jesus, and you want to make a great first impression on them, first impressions team, if that's your heart, keep doing it. But if you're serving because somebody told you to and your heart is not in it, then you are missing it. How are you utilizing the gift that God has given you to give back to his kingdom? Because I promise you, a gift that God gave you could bring somebody to know Jesus. A gift that God gave you, hear me, gave you, before you even asked for it, can lead people to Jesus. Worship team, will you join me up here? I'm sorry I'm going long. We are a part of a fast-moving church. Praise God for that, seriously. I know sometimes it gets crazy around here and there's a lot going on, especially on a Sunday morning, but praise God that people are pouring in through our doors because there are so many hurting people in Salem. And every Wednesday I meet new students. Every Sunday I meet new families. Praise God that people are coming here. And sometimes... It caused, if I'm being honest, it causes chaos because we have to catch up and be able to care for these people. But praise God that we are a fast-moving church that is ready to do and move and be guided by God and the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. But you as students need more opportunity to intentionally pour out and give the God-given gift back to Him. And this has got really like... I went... I got a lot more intense than I thought I would tonight, but don't miss me because there's some really exciting things that we're going to start doing at PC Youth that are going to allow us to do this. And I'm excited to share them with you. Before I do, just remember, we serve to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. So right now, who comes to church on a Sunday morning? Be honest, it doesn't matter. We have small groups at 10 a.m., for middle schoolers and high schoolers. A lot of you also serve on Sunday morning. Who serves on Sunday morning? Worship team, first impressions, whatever it is. A lot of you serve. A lot of hands just went up, but there was also some that didn't. I said it already, but we as PC youth need more time, intentional time, to be able to pour out, be filled, hear me, filled, but then be able to pour out the gifts that God has given us and give back to him. 
So starting on Sunday, April 3rd, this is big, and I'm excited about it. And a lot of you might be, oh, how's that gonna work? I'm not sure, hear me. Starting on Sunday, April 3rd, we will be moving our 10 a.m. small group time to the evening at six. Discipleship groups will happen at 6 p.m. starting on Sunday, April 3rd. Before you get ahead of yourself, that gives you three services in the morning to pour out and to give your gift back to God. And on your chair when you walked in, there's so many opportunities here at People's Church to serve. And please, don't serve for the wrong reasons. But right now, there's so many of you that serve. You're on worship team. You're on first impressions. You do all these things. And we have small groups at 10. And the real dilemma is that you feel a tension between both. Well, I have to serve at 10 and I can't do worship. Or I have, I have worship at 10 so I can't go to small groups. It's a real thing. And we've been fighting it and we've been trying to figure it out. We believe so strongly that by moving small groups to 6 p.m., we will allow opportunity for you to serve and be involved, be on tech team. Come on, we're getting so much amazing equipment in the sanctuary. We need willing and able and gifted hands to be able to operate it. So the idea is that you serve in a service and sit in a service. We all go to 1130 service, that doesn't change. But now at 830 or 10, you can serve and you can give your gift back to God. That's the main thing. On the flip of that, I believe strongly in discipleship. Jesus discipled 12 men and many others, but discipleship is a biblical principle. And I believe strongly in raising up students that follow Jesus with their whole heart and they start to replicate themselves in other students. And at, the, at some point in time, we'll see, I mean, we already see it, but continue seeing students discipling students, leading people to Jesus. And that's what our small group time is for at 10 a.m. And right now, because of the dilemma between serving and small groups and all these things, it hasn't been super intentional. As your youth pastor and your leaders, we've done everything we can to make it intentional, but there's so much that happens on a Sunday morning. I believe strongly that by moving small group time to 6 p.m., that time is yours. And a lot of you are thinking to yourself right now, oh, I don't know, I don't go to 6 p.m. service. I promise you, you're not gonna wanna miss it once we start this. Because I am all about creating intentional time for you to have conversations with leaders and other students that you would never have anywhere else. And find answers to questions that you are struggling with. And be able to be accountable to the, your fellow junior high schooler or fellow sophomore boy or whatever it is Build community with those around you and the leaders that are pouring out their gift to lead you. And we need intentional time to do that and 6 p.m. will be that time. So don't distract anyone, please, but take out your phone right now. And there's a picture on the screen. If you do not have the Church Center app on your phone, download the Church Center app. If you do have the Church Center app on your phone, open it. And there's a picture, Colin, it's the one with all the groups. If you go to the Church Center app on your phone and log in, phone number, all those things, some of you have logged in already, and you click the Groups tab, scroll down to PC Youth, you will see a bunch of small group discipleship groups, sixth grade boys, sixth grade girls, seventh grade boys, seventh grade girls. It goes on and on and on. Request to join your age and gender specific group because this is where you will have community. This is where you will have students 
that you can interact with. You can have a group message on there so all of the junior boys or junior girls can, can message each other and say, hey, are you in your script, the Bible this week? Hold each other accountable. Are you, are you in, in your daily devotion? I'm excited to see you at small groups on Sunday at six. And your small group leader, a lot, all of you have a small group leader, your small group leader will now be able to be intentional about spending time with you and scheduling coffee dates for the girls outside of church. Hey, let's just connect. So this is a very, very cool tool that God has given us to be able to do discipleship well and do it with intention. At the same time, a lot of you feel called to vocational ministry. Vocational ministry means youth pastor, worship pastor, missionary, ministry in some, in some form. At camp, there was like 35 of you that raised your hand to that altar call and said, I feel called to ministry. All of you will exist in your small group, freshman girls, small group, or whatever it is. But if you're a freshman girl and you feel called to ministry in some form, or maybe you, you think you're called and you're not quite sure, or maybe, maybe you're wondering what the call of God looks like on your life, you see it. There's a small group called PC Youth Called. And at the same time, Sundays at 6 p.m., I will be leading that small group and we'll be able to be together understanding what the call of God looks like on our life. How do I walk into it now? Because for so long, the church has royally messed up. Hear me. I know I'm going long. But for so long, the church has said, oh, awesome, you feel called to be a youth pastor. What AG school are you going to go to in four years for college? And there's been no intentionality between, oh, I feel called to the moment when you are doing what you feel called to do. So I am so excited about this, and I'm, that's the reason I'm getting intense. But to be able to have curriculum that we can walk through together and help us understand what the call of God looks like on your life, there's a book that I will give everyone that is in that group. And at the end of that curriculum, if the call of God of your life is confirmed, we partner with Pathway, which is an education program, and you can start taking Assemblies of God classes that will allow you to move into your ministry calling before you're even in college. And then they will all transfer. So, I mean, it's a lot of details, but if, you, if, you, if you're, in a, you're all in a grade and a gender, join your grade and gender group. And if you feel called to ministry in some form and you just have questions even, join the called small group. I know it's a lot. And a lot of you might have questions. I don't know how this is gonna work with my schedule. It's a big shift. It's convenient to come on Sunday mornings at 10 and then go to 11.30 service. They will take discipline to come at 6 p.m. again. Good thing we already talked about how discipline is a better option. I promise if, if we are on board with this together, God will use this transition in our ministry in very, very powerful ways. There was a pastor that spoke at the conference I was at last week and he said, the attraction model of youth ministry is dead. And let me explain that. The attraction model is drawing people to your youth group because it looks good and the lights are good and the music is good and you have good games and you have a good building. But that model is dead. And he said, hear me, I believe in all those things. Having great resources and being excellent in the way you present Jesus to people is important. But if all you are leaning on to win people to Jesus and sustain them in their walk with Jesus, you are missing it. If you are just leaning on attraction to do that, you are missing it. Discipleship is what keeps and gets 
and gets other students to heaven. So hear my heart. This isn't a change to make your life harder. It's a change for you to be able to pour out your gift and then also be filled with a time of community with students around you, with a time of community with your leader and be discipled and make disciples. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the start of it. So you might have every excuse on the book why the change doesn't work, but be disciplined. Be disciplined right now to to join that group. Be disciplined to join the, the called small group. Be disciplined in the way you devote your life to God. Will you stand with me tonight? There's leaders in this room. If you're a leader, will you please join me up front? To stay caught up with everything happening, check us out at peopleschurch.com as well as on Instagram at PC Youth Salem.